Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Well, hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Joe Rimmer and I'm with two very happy... Look at that. Look at those happy faces for the for people that are on YouTube. Two very happy people today. Ian Doyle is here. How are we, Ian Doyle? Always happy to be working on a bank holiday, Joe. No, oh, I know you are. I know you are. And Sean Bradbury, that is a genuine smile from Sean. Lovely, heartwarming smile for, for the listeners, Sean. I feel, I feel like I don't even need to say anything. I'll just keep smiling for half an hour and that, that'll Sorry. be my part in this pot. But yeah, very happy. But, very happy. I, think people, I think people would tune in in their droves if that was the case. But um, we'll start with Ian Doyle, who was um, at St. James's Park yesterday. Um, well, I mean, I suppose crazy game, crazy result, one that you certainly didn't expect, Ian Doyle. No, I think when when come to write the big book of good wins for Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp, I suspect that's going to be right up there. It's uh, there's not been many, certainly in those circumstances against the team. And let's face it, the team that Liverpool are targeting this season are the ones they need to finish above if they want to finish in the top uh, top four. Given the fact Newcastle were fourth last year, but yeah, I mean just before the game, by the way. I know that up in Newcastle they've been trying to drum up this sense of a rivalry between Liverpool and Newcastle, but really they're just there isn't one really. And I think it's, if there is one, it's all kind of more Newcastle end, if anything else. And I know that you saw the celebrations at the end from the Liverpool uh, bench and the Liverpool uh, fans hype in the stand there behind uh, behind one of the goals at St James's Park. But I think that would have been the same whoever they were playing, simply because of the way that the game went. That it was Newcastle just helped from a from an actual point of view of, as I said before, they're the team that they're going to try and finish him up. It's got nothing to do with any sense of like bitterness between the clubs, certainly not for Liverpool's side. Uh, but the game itself, yeah. Me and Liverpool started averagely, I'd say. I'd say they started in the first couple of minutes was kind of okay. Both teams were trading blows then. I think Newcastle got on top and then obviously you have the double whammy of the goal, which was just ridiculous, really. And then the sending off, which... <clears throat> Certainly Virgil van Dijk didn't think it was a sending off. And in old football, I when I was growing up, that would never have been a foul, let alone anything else. But, you know, these are the rules now. So I suppose you could argue that he had to be sent off. And then that was that. And at that point, you're thinking, well, this could be about four or five nil for Newcastle, given what they did to Aston Villa on the opening day, the opening weekend of the season. But you know, Liverpool deserve credit for the way that they hung in there. And you could argue that, well, they had half an hour's worth of learning how to play 4-4-1 against Bournemouth last week, which kind of helped, you know, stood them in good stead for what they had to come against Newcastle. I was actually really disappointed in Newcastle. I thought that they 
didn't really build on the the start that they had. Anthony Gordon interviewed after the game, he scored the goal. He said, kind of said the same thing. We didn't really, you know, we we reacted wrongly. Not whether he said it, but certainly Eddie Howe said that the game changed on the sending off and it didn't help us. So I'm not entirely sure what that meant. I know we see all the story, you know, we've, we've seen so many times that teams struggle to break down 10 men uh, in the past, but the difference for Newcastle, they were already ahead, didn't have to break them down. They just had to play the game sensibly and just not leave themselves open for the kind of thing that Liverpool then did in the last 15 minutes because the longer that second half went, the more you thought Liverpool might get something here because it wasn't even like Newcastle were missing loads and loads of chances, but Liverpool were just getting in behind and I think Klopp said afterwards that it was when Jota played in Salah and he had that chance blocked, he, he sensed the crowd started to turn because they were, they were thinking, hang on, this is only one nil here and Liverpool have just had a half-decent chance. They're probably going to get some more the way things are going. And so that's why you know, we, we shouldn't really concern ourselves too much with the opposition and how they play overall. But I was a bit disappointed in Newcastle. Certainly, you know, they've lost two big games now already. So from Liverpool's point of view, that's good. But uh, from an overall perspective on Liverpool, <laughs> what's funny is that They've now played more than 90 minutes with 10 men and they haven't conceded a single goal then. And an hour of that was at Newcastle. So they can quite clearly can defend. Then they can be organised. So then it's like, well, is any of the issues defensively in the past, say, I think three, four, five months, not obviously not counting the summer, but you know, possibly, yeah, count a little bit the summer then with some of the goals we conceded. Is that down to the formation? So should they really be playing this Trent hybrid role kind of thing? Because... Certainly, Newcastle wants to play in that at the early stages with, you know, still Gordon on, on with Trent. We know that Trent could probably have been sent off, but then he should have had a, you know, should have had a foul in the first place when he was knocked in the back. And Gordon was on top of uh, Joe Matip, certainly in the, in the first, you know, opening exchanges. So there was a bit of that, but Liverpool learn a lot from this game. And of course, when you've got Darwin Nunes decides to, not decides to turn up, that's, his, that's a bit unfair, that phrase, but there's no doubt that that's probably the biggest contribution he's made in his Liverpool career today, scoring those two goals in the last, what was it, 81 and about 93 minutes, wasn't it? And it was the fact that they were precisely the kind of chances that he would have missed not that long ago. You know, the first one, it, it's that it's first one I only have, because we didn't have any replays of the game, didn't notice it until I got home in the early hours this morning, then actually at the post, didn't it, and went in. We just thought it went to the bottom corner because we couldn't tell. But probably six months ago, that, is you know like at Aston Villa, he drags that one wide, you know because on uh, was it Boxing Day last year where he had, he had quite a few chances like that. And of course, once it was the first one, in the second one, there was never really any doubt that he was going to score from the position he was in. He'd already he'd already done it, and I think it's the kind of performance that you could tell from his celebration. He was he's obviously quite had a lot of frustration from not having played much in the first couple of games when he's had it when I we. we I've written it, have written it as well. That he actually had quite a good summer in the friendlies. He, you know, he scored within the first couple of minutes, didn't he? The first one, and I don't think anybody could doubt his overall performance. And you could see that he was kind of linking with the team. And you saw was it Jota the first goal? I know he hit hit uh, Botman on the on the back, uh, and certainly Salah with the second goal. Is that they gave him the kind of balls that he likes, and I think they've kind of they've learned from that, and then. I think Liverpool do have, they can play in a lot of different ways. And and now with Nunes, he's kind of shown, well, this is how I want to play. This is how you can do it. This is how I want to score. So I think overall, everybody's going to be pleased with the way that it went, even though, you know, there's not going to be question marks over this, that and the other. I'm sure we'll get onto that in a bit. 
Yeah, interestingly enough, I, I thought Liverpool played far better when they went down to 10 men. And, and like you say, I don't know whether it just tempered the immaturity isn't, isn't the right word, but certainly the eagerness of the team to, to look to always break the lines, to look to always try and get on the front foot. They seem to slow things down at times and uh, I thought it paid off. Sean, we'll, we'll speak about Darwin Nunes in, in more detail in a minute. But in terms of the, the win and the way that it happened, I mean, there's been incredible wins during Klopp's reign, um, emotional wins. Um, but I saw a tweet yesterday from um, Christian Walsh, who used to work with us, um, talking about how since Paris, I think he used the phrase, he was dead behind the eyes. And, you know, I think that's a wider thing. But certainly in terms of results, that, there hasn't been a, a great deal of big results for, for Liverpool fans to sort of cling on to. And, that, and do you think that's the sort of performance and sort of win and the sort of occasion and emotion that can that can Liverpool can use to sort of drive them on this season? 100%. I mean, I this smile is, is no joke. I genuinely wanted to get a one-way <laughs> one way flight to Ibiza and just party with Jorg for a week after that last <laughs> night. Honestly, it was um, it was as good as I can remember. I mean, I, I say this as someone who last season didn't go to Bournemouth the 9-0 and I wasn't at the United Games, was working for both of them. But the game I enjoyed most last season, well, I actually, I actually really liked the 2-2 against Arsenal because it was just a great game of football, but it was the Newcastle one, you know, because of that late winner. I honestly think a late, late winner, like really late, like, you know, injury time is the highest and purest form of, of joy that you can that you can get from a football match because you just come out bouncing, don't you? No matter what has happened before. Um, but but then when so much does happen before, and in this case, it amplifies it even more. You know, this is away from home. It's it's just an away end seeing it, which always kind of brings its own edge to proceedings. Obviously, as we've said, Liverpool were down to 10. And then you've got the Darwin aspect of it, you know, a fella who's been a little bit of doubt swirling around him and, and not, not just him, but just as, as, as Doyle said, you know, Liverpool's general situation, formation, transfer questions, and then the absolute certainty with which he swings his right foot twice and just sets off absolute bedlam. I, I was watching yesterday with my old man, who's, who's a fairly, fairly senior red, you know, he's in his 70s and, he, and he's seen a lot and it takes quite a bit to move him. But we, we were like, we were loving the first goal and then just laughing our heads off really after the second. And, and like he was a... It was great to see him on his feet, and I think if Jason Tindall had been around, and he just swung for him at that point, he was just he was loving it. But yeah, I, interrupt, Sean, but, but I think the Blood Red Channel would really benefit from maybe a Dave Brad little cameo or little Nunes <laughs> chant from Dave Brad. I think, he, I think yeah, he, he does. He, he likes a chance. He's, he's WhatsApp yeah. does a few chants. I'll, I'll see what I can do. See if he's still on Cloud Nine. But um, I, I totally agree with Doyle as well. In that, I, I think that in, in a weird way that the McAllister Red could be one of the, the biggest things to happen to Liverpool this season. Not not just not just the um, chance to get used to like four four one because they just snapped into it again, didn't they? In, in this Newcastle game, but you know we've got Endo on the pitch as well ahead of schedule. Gave him a little run out, and whilst he wasn't brilliant, he was he was solid enough, I think, in, in that opening period, and he and he got to grips with the game eventually. But I just think in, in a wider sense of building mentality and dealing with adversity, not letting heads drop, and and just being sensible and wait for an opportunity to come. Is, is exactly what we've seen. You know, I'd almost just I'd start with 10 against Villa and just have Nunes growling on the touchline and, and throw him on for the last 20 minutes because it, it's obviously working, isn't it? But yeah, it was it was fantastic. And just to take the three results at the start of the season in one, you know, you've got four points there away from home at two of the hardest away you'll have all season. So it is just all round a fantastic start for Liverpool. And, and to win like that, you know, now if, 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 they, if they get a win against Villa, even a draw against Villa is not the worst. Ten or eight points going into that first international break is is well above par, and Liverpool will be very happy with that if that's what happens. 
The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Sorry, maybe a transformative win for Liverpool, but more so a transformative performance for, for, for Darwin Nunes. I mean, he's not someone that I think we've ever thought lacked confidence, but I suppose maybe do you think that it could have got in his head a little bit in recent weeks, months, that he's not really getting the team that isn't? first choice in that front three. Um, how important do you think those two goals and just the nature of the the, the finishes, the, the way he took them, how important could they be? I'm, I'm, I'm just added to that. Do you start him next game? Um, well, a couple of things. The first one, given the fact I wrote this earlier today and I've already forgotten it, just kind of tells you that you know, when you get to a certain age, you just remember things and you forget most of the things, is that I'm sure that Nunes only started three of the 14 games they've been unbeaten. I'm sure that's right. He obviously hasn't started any of the three this season. I think he was injured for the last three of last season. And I think he started two of the early ones. I think at Chelsea. Did he start after? Did he start at Leeds? No, he came on at Leeds, didn't he, and scored. Yeah. So there's been there's been a couple of games where he started, but a lot of them he didn't. And uh, I, do, I wonder whether, I don't know whether footballers look at stuff like this, but certainly we did. And saw that and went, well, is there a correlation here between Liverpool finally winning some games or getting some good run, a good run together and Nunes not playing? And <clears throat> it probably was a bit of that with the formation that Liverpool were playing because we saw Klopp was always on about him saying, you need to improve your defending, this, that and the other. But he didn't really have to do that, did he, against Newcastle? Because everybody else was defending because there was nobody else left on the pitch. So, you know, I think the way that they played helped Nunes. And as I just said before, that's the kind of thing that they have to aim for with him. It's not just going to be that every single time he plays. Because obviously they're going to play in lots of different ways against lots of different teams. They're not always going to be down to 10 men, hopefully. Anyway, you know. Um, but for him, yeah, uh, he is a confident person. But it's like anything. If you keep on missing chances, it's going to affect you eventually. And it's not as if he didn't score any goals last season. He scored 15. We just missed a lot of chances. And I said before, that them kind of two chances were ones he was missing. I mean, as he scored them two goals so far in his career at Liverpool. Because we saw oh, lots of them for Benfica. Those kind of goals, the goal that he oh, scored those, against those Newcastle. I can't recall any, but then, like you... I don't know all of his goals. Like, age, age catches up on his own, I can't recall. <laughs> but, you know, I can't, I can't remember him scoring goals like that. Certainly not the ones that were going in off the post. As I said before, he had the kind of goal wider in the post. and Because he hit the post loads of times, didn't he, as well as seems to remember. Even mm-hmm. the goal that the, the Leicester uh, phase, isn't it? He, he yeah. kind of hit him. But Dino should have scored, really, shouldn't he? That's back in just over Christmas where it hit the inside. Yeah, of the he hit the post against it. West Ham, didn't he? The phenomenal yeah. strike. So yeah. there's been a bit of that with him. In terms of should he start the next game? Well, the point here is that we thought Gakpo was unlucky not to start because you know, he up front because he'd been having to play midfield. Then he played went up front against Newcastle. And while he was okay, he wasn't absolutely magnificent, mm-hmm. partly due to the circumstances of the way the game went. Jota in the first couple of games had, first of all, hadn't really done a lot. Second one, we mentioned this before, he's that kind of player. He doesn't seem to know what he's doing half the time, but then he can score one and assist one. 
But it was absolutely brilliant when he came on against Newcastle. It was either yeah. the same. He started changing the game. Uh, I think we're going to get on to this in a minute. Should we just do it now then? Yeah. He started yeah, yeah, yeah. He started changing the game along with Elliot. And I must admit that the way that we do this, obviously, the, the second half, I didn't see loads of the game. I managed to see the two goals. Um, when I was doing the ratings, I didn't think Harvey Elliott had had as much of an impact as he had done in the previous two ones. There were more eye-catching his cameos against Bournemouth and, and against Chelsea. But when I again watched the highlights, it was he got in the way for the second goal. I'm pretty sure he had a build. He was involved in the build-up for the first yeah. one as well. It was, so he got through a lot of work and he made it lots of difference. So, Harvey, because I know he listens to all the podcasts, I gave you a six, probably bump you up to a seven, to be honest, uh, if you can do that. So, but Jota, again, underlining that when Liverpool have got the strength in depth in the positions, Klopp is far more likely, because he got praised for substitutions uh, against Newcastle, when a lot of the time, not a lot of the time, there's been a number of times where people have been, been a bit confused why he doesn't turn to his bench more often and why he doesn't you know, put this certain player on or that certain player on. I think it's probably because he just doesn't think they're going to do the job. Let's be honest about it. If he thinks they're going to do something, he'll just put them on. Why on earth wouldn't he? So I think up front, he's got the options to do that. And we've got four days left in this transfer window. Midfield, he probably needs one. Centre-back, he definitely needs one. I'm sure we'll get onto that as well in a bit. But the Jota impact and the Nunes impact, bear in mind that Diaz was a bit unlucky to be sacrificed. And Salah, by the way, I, again, something I only noticed when I got home is... In the, the second goal, which he sets up, it comes, doesn't it, from Longstaff tries that back heel. Um, when he gets played into the box, he tries that back heel and Allison kind of blocks it and he gets hold yeah. of the ball. If you watch the replay, the two players are running back just in case Allison can't get it. His quantum is already there and Salah is practically on the goal line. And then literally about 15 seconds later, he's up the other end of the pitch and he's putting the pass through for... Um, Passed through for Nunes, and he's another one who he looked a little bit lost at first when he went up, uh, certainly up in the, the central striker role because he's up against you know Fabian Schar, who's it, Dan Byrne and Sven Botman, who are all absolutely massive and he's tiddly. But once Jota got on there and started moving people about and running at them, and I think it was uh, I can't remember that it was it could have been you know Gorst, he said it, or possibly James Pierce. There was something happened at the game yesterday where the chance that Salah had, which Jota put him in. It came from a long ball from Allison and Jota went up for a header, but just kind of lent into whoever, it was, whoever his mark was, just like nudged him out of the way, showed a bit of physicality and then got the ball. And that's what Jota can do. And I think to a certain degree, I think that's what Nunes needs to start doing as well. And he did do a little bit of that. I mean, and you saw, you know, he took a chance as well and gambled in for that first goal. He thought, well, he might make a mistake here. And that's what all the best strikers do. And so by the time he gets to the second one, he's, he's got that confidence. So going back to your, your initial point, Joe, is... Your two questions were, do you think he's he's going to gain confidence that he's lacked it? I think he probably has lacked confidence, even if he's not really shown it in what he's been saying. That will give him confidence. Would you start him against Aston Villa? You know what? I actually think I probably would. Yeah, I would start him against Aston Villa. Why yeah. not? Yeah. you kind of got to have to, haven't you? I mean, it, mm. what, what more does he have to do? And I think confidence-wise, you would think he'd be buzzing going into that. Um, think spot on. thought Harvey Elliott has shown great maturity in the three cameos he's played in because if you think about all three of them he's played them all in pretty difficult circumstances Chelsea coming into the game in, in the second half of, of um of the opening day 10 men against Bournemouth and then 10 men against Newcastle and um I feel like he's been a different type of Harvey Elliott you know not someone who's trying to create but someone who's broken things up who's used the ball well who's got back in and 
positionally been very good. So really impressed. And yeah, Jota, it was just a pest, um, a pest in the best way. Um, Sean, I mean, obviously you, you you talk about watching at home with your dad. There was a lot made of how well Newcastle played. You know, a lot of people saying they dominated in the in the first half. And in terms of the game as a whole, I'll be honest, I didn't think Newcastle were that good. And I thought the, the the domination early doors was a bit overblown. And then, of course, they had the territory and they had the the chances when when Liverpool had ten men. But Liverpool, for a good portion of the game in the second half with ten men, played pretty well, didn't they? Oh yeah, I think Newcastle won the midfield battle. I was very impressed with with Bruno as as always. He's just he's just an excellent quality player, isn't he? And it's, it's, the, funny, you, it's funny you say that because a couple of Newcastle fans we work with followed them and they were saying how poor he was. Really? Oh, no, I, I thought I, he was... I was. I wasn't particularly impressed with him either, to be honest. Mm. That's why I, I, I Tenali, and I'm sorry, it, I, it's like. Why did they suck Tim and Gordon? I don't know. Yeah, well, that—that's what I was going to say. That that at that point, I think it felt like they thought they had the game won, and that Liverpool weren't going to, you know, find a way to get back into it and somehow get a foothold in it. And I, I think that's where the real separation was, which you know maybe isn't always the case, but like Klopp just won the subs, didn't he? Because taking Gordon off was bizarre. And okay, Barnes came on, didn't he, in, in the first game? And obviously, he's a, he's a class act. He's a, he's a very good player. And as a as someone to rotate with Gordon, they, they've got two excellent options there. You know, two good wingers on the commentary. They were kind of saying uh, quite a bit that Newcastle need to see more from their wide men. But I think they will do this season. You know, Almiron on the other side isn't bad at all, is he as well? And and, and almost scored. But uh, yeah, I think to go back to what you guys said, I just think all of the subs from from Klopp were every single player who came on pretty much was became one of the dominant figures in the game. I mean, Gomez was fantastic, you know, yeah. re- really the kind of performance that it needed, like a, a steady hand. And and what I would say is Newcastle had obviously spells of dominance. There was there was the massive Allison save, wasn't it, from Almiron, which, you know, I think if that game goes 2-0, Liverpool are gone, aren't they? That's one thing I think we could probably all agree on. But but the others, as you said, Jota off the bench, I always think is a, is a great player off the bench, whether it's just because he absorbs tactical instructions quickly or, or just watches the game. Or maybe he's played FIFA a million times and been 1-0 down and, and he always wins 2-1. <laughs> I don't know, but he, he was good. And, and, and like you say with Elliot, like it, it's totally different to last season, isn't it? And, and that's why it's impressive. Last season, he was starting games pretty much all the time, wasn't he, in, in the early phases of the campaign? But now it's like, OK, go on and, and control the game and allow Liverpool to get a grip on proceedings again. And he's done that with a plum in, in three matches, like you lads say. Nunes, yeah, fantastic. And and yeah, I'd say, I would say Quanta as well. I, I know we're going to come on to this. I don't think at this point you can now say that performance means Liverpool don't need to sign another centre-back. But what I would say is he deserves more opportunities this season and whether it's Europa League or, or a slightly better level than that in, in games that perhaps matter more, you know, beyond the group stage or, or in the league. He, he certainly merits that because that, that's just it was just it was a cauldron, wasn't it? The atmosphere yeah. was really feisty. Um, you know, tackles were flying in, and and you know, to, to go in there and be part of what made the game calm at just 20 years of age after you know a loan spell in League One, I think, wasn't it? And not many, well, that was his first game, wasn't it? I thought it was, was fantastic. So yeah, Klopp won the subs, and that for me was a story of the game. I, I was screaming for Nunes to come on earlier because I just thought, well, he's a bit of pace, he's an outlet, he's something different. But I actually think Jota and Jota and Elliot were the ones who got a grip of it. And and as as you guys have referred to, there was that chance where Jota put Salah in and that changed the mood a little bit. And yeah. then, you know, they were maybe that little bit more tired and a little bit more uncertain for Nunes to, to take advantage of that. So, yeah, that's that's on Klopp and he's done really well there. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 
Well, you mentioned in your analysis, um, Dominic Sabozlai uh, obviously was a target for Newcastle. Um, perhaps they didn't, they couldn't quite afford them due to FFP concerns, or I'm not sure. But but Newcastle's loss is Liverpool's gain. I mean, another slightly different performance from him than the first two games, but so gritty, so strong, and and again mature. Um, how impressed were you by him? Well, I gave me an eight out of ten, so that gives you a little bit of an idea of your ratings. What I would say about him is he's kind of like the worst, the, the more difficult the situation is or the scenario is, the better he gets. It's like what, what I've just seen. I know it's only a very small sample size of just a couple of games. But again, he stepped up and I can't, I must admit, I remember this off the top of my head. I'm sure he, he did more, you know, the, he was involved in more challenges than any other player on the pitch. And there's like some like really high number in comparison to anywhere in the Premier League, I'm not sure for how long, but it's been like a long time since someone's had that many. He was just getting stuck in everywhere. And, and as against Bournemouth, he wasn't quite able to press on as much as perhaps he, he, he did do against Bournemouth. But again, the game situation was completely different and Newcastle are a lot better than Bournemouth. Well, at least I think they're going to be this season anyway. They should be. Um, but yeah, he it was also interesting is that in during the summer when they were playing, McAllister and him, um, he tended to be on the left and McAllister was on the right of the midfield trio. But because Soboslai's done quite well, certainly put quite well against Bournemouth and played there against Chelsea as well, they kept him on the right and put McAllister on the left. And I thought McAllister in the first 25 minutes, half an hour, I think he struggled a bit. So they were keeping the ball. But again, to, to a lesser degree, the fact that he then got hold of it in the second half more, that helped Liverpool. And you didn't really see him often in the... Uh, in the Newcastle half, did you? He kind of took it upon himself, certainly when Endo went off, to go back into that kind of that holding position and let the others do a bit of running. So it's quite a disciplined performance from him. But Sobosly, he does have that. I mean, he's only 22 as well, isn't he? He looks older than 22 in the way that he plays, not necessarily how he looks, but in the way that he plays. He's somebody, you can see why he's been the Hungary international captain for a while. And you can see why, you know. Okay, let's put it this way, right? If he sticks around for Liverpool long enough, he'll end up being either the captain or the vice captain, just on the evidence of this already. Just because he's just he's that type of player, he's that cut like kind of character. So he's been the big winner for me over this this first couple of games because I think a lot of fans may have heard of his name, seen him a couple of times, but not really been made aware of it. And you know, I was lucky enough to see him quite a bit during the summer in all those games. I hadn't really seen a lot of him before then either, so it's a bit curious for, for me to see what he was like. So I knew kind of knew what to expect when he. He came into the game against Chelsea, which, again, it took a little while to get used to, got into it, and he did better in the second half. But against Bournemouth and against um, and against Newcastle on, on Sunday, he was just excellent. And he keeps the ball well, doesn't mind, get, I say, doesn't mind getting stuck in, gets a, gets around the pitch a lot, got a great engine. I think he did, what was it, the first day he was there training, he, he finished second to Salah in the, the what was it, the, the, that tested, lactate test, is it? Yeah, so he finished second in that. Finished yeah. second in that. So... Liverpool have got themselves, and I said some of the previous pod, they got themselves kind of that midfield engine they haven't had since Wijnaldum, and they haven't really needed since then because of the way they played. But because they're obviously this completely new midfield, he's somebody who's going to be able to do that. But you've got a lot more to his game than just running around. Yeah, do you get, Sean, you were, you were nodding with approval. Um, I mean, I, I thought we were going to get a player who was sort of attacking midfielder would give Liverpool something in the final third but he gives Liverpool something in every third doesn't he he's absolutely everywhere and I thought Bournemouth was the first example of that like like you guys have referenced and 
you know, it was clear he had an engine, but it was just, I didn't realize it was, he's a Ferrari as well as he, as well as a Rolls Royce, because he? he can, he can, he's quick, he's quicker than I thought he was from, from the bits. He's a, bit of a monster truck. A monster truck, yeah. four big wheels, <laughs> covers a lot of ground. Yeah. yeah, showing your age a little bit there, Joe. <laughs> Not why a monster truck's no longer a thing. Yeah, but you know, I wouldn't say that the the massive as big as they were. Now someone's going to like put up and say like, well, there was fifty thousand people at this meeting the other day, so <laughs> yeah, I'll be proven wrong. But they don't have the media presence that they used to have, should we say? I, I didn't know monster trucks were a nostalgic thing. That's that's new to me. I I just thought they were enjoyable. The, 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 okay, there might be a nostalgic thing to people in the UK who probably watched them when they were on television when they were younger. You don't get to see them quite a lot these days, do you? In America, it's still massive. Why are we even talking about this? Anyway, come on. This, this could be the moment. This could be the moment. Dom, Dom and Joe can bring bring monster monster trucks back. But no, <laughs> <laughs> both of you are in the, in the cabin driving along. No, but the other thing I, w- I would add to what Doyley said about him is just his, his attitude and mentality away from the pitch itself. I mean, I think it was Gorsty... Um, who did on Friday as Klopp did his press conference there was also interviews with Sabozlai and you know he was asked who could win the league and his first answer was us and and then you know I think that the journalists pressed him on it and said well really you know do you actually mean that and then you know he backed that up and, and actually did and I, I just think to, to swagger in and start the way he has on the pitch and then be able to say something like that off the pitch and kind of pull it off and, and then justify it and you know ally that to how you're playing is is very very impressive and the thing that struck me about him is i, I going into this season i thought 433 was if if not dead was was kind of the past and, and liverpool were moving beyond that looking at this box midfield and that that is you know we've seen flashes of that in games although it has been a little bit different again because of the red cards find myself saying that on every pod now but you know um pl- plans are going out the window quite early but i do wonder if at the back of Klopp's mind now he might start thinking Obviously, this guy was brought in long term to replace Henderson, but but it feels like in the short term, it's it's such a physical upgrade, isn't it? Not to knock, you know, J- Jordan and what he was doing at the end of last season, which I think when they did switch formation, he was better. But four three three was was it was a real test for him, wasn't it? Earlier in the last campaign, but you know, you just think back to the way the formations changed pretty much to suit Trent and get him further forward. Well. You know, having Sabosli ahead of you and and the ability to cover behind you when when Trent does go. Is, is massive. So I think like, you know, you could tell at the start of last last term, Trent was thinking, oh, you know, I, I need I need a change. I need something different. 4-3-3 as we've had it with with the rest of the squad isn't working for me. But I think Sabosli could almost kind of turn the clock back a little bit there because he, he is he's a one man band down that right hand side. You know, and he's got he's got the motor of, of a prime Henderson, but the way he got a shot away against Bournemouth was a little bit of Oxley Chamberlain there. So you know if he, if he can combine the best of those two players for Liverpool in that position and get about the pitch to the extent he is, but he is doing so far. That's massive. I bet he's wishing though. He just has uh, one game where he, he doesn't have to do the running of two men and we don't go down to 10. So, you know, hopefully on Sunday he can, he can show that. A Ferrari monster truck. That's what I think, think he is. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Uh, Doily, um, Trent, Sean mentioned him there. I mean, I, I, just a strange game because I think after the initial madness of conceding the goal and you know the, the, the almost sending off for him, um, played quite well, didn't he? Do you think he recovered and and put in quite a strong performance considering the pressure on him? Well, he definitely put in. He definitely improved because um, when he, again it was his pass into the middle that set up the first goal. No, second goal. Was it first, no first goal? It was yeah, his pass into the middle yeah. that set up the first goal. Yeah, so. 
from that, you know, that he's doing his job there. He's doing, he's, he's, he's affecting the play in the way that he wants to. Obviously, I mean, I saw some some reports that say he was absolutely chronic, and it's like, well, he clearly wasn't. You just based that on the fact that he miscontrolled the pass, which to be fair, <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking. You know what I mean? He looked at go and go straight in and that's it and the fact that he could have been sent off although he did obviously get pushed should have been a yellow card to Gord and then the whole game might have been completely different who knows so he wouldn't be able to go around and pressure pressurize the other players quite as much I do think that the referee wouldn't say he got he got affected by the home crowd but he definitely got affected by the home crowd um because just the way that he was well you all saw it you know I don't like seeing out referees or anything like that but it did get a bit daft that it took until about 55, 60 minutes for a Newcastle player to get booked. And it wasn't Joey Linton as well. He just went around kicking everybody. So, you know, these things do happen, unfortunately. So, uh, but going back to Trent, interesting. We've all never been really convinced, I think it's fair to say, by the, the, the use of the box midfield. I don't think anyway, even though obviously last season it did. It, it, it served a purpose by getting Liverpool closer to the top four, even though they missed out on it in the end. But you could tell they were taking more risks. Now, they don't need to do that at the moment. And you've seen in the last two games where they didn't have to take any risks whatsoever until a very specific time, that they were able to keep themselves in one game when they'd been 1-0 down and the other one they were able to see it out when they'd gone two goals ahead, both with 10 men. So that shows they can control games in a way, as I said before. And I think it's because they've moved away from that formation. And so I do think I agree with I agree with Sean in the sense I hadn't really thought of it like that before, that Trent, perhaps because he's got other players around him now, can play the right-back role slightly differently, not necessarily going into midfield. And that would confuse opponents, certainly for a while, because they've been expecting one thing or the other. And when you've got that many options in the sense of what these players can do, like we mentioned, Sobersley can play on the left and the right in the midfield. You've got Cloth, uh, Cloth, yeah, he'd be good. Uh, playing up the centre back, uh, you got Trent who can go into midfield or just stay there at right back and push on an overlap. You got Robertson. I think we have to say a word about him. I thought he was very good uh, yesterday. Um, he's come up for a little bit of criticism. He just basically played a left back, didn't he? He just said, "I'm going to be a left back today," and he played it. And as I say, again, down when he down to ten men, I thought he did a lot of defending in the first half before Liverpool went down to ten, and in the second half. He was able to time it right when he needed to get forward, which wasn't very often. But what he was able to do was bring the ball out of defence and give it to some of the players. I mean, partly because this was all by the, the the wing where we were sat in the press box. You could see that Liverpool were playing these triangles down that left flank. And Robertson was getting out of some like difficult situations where he was sometimes, not often, but sometimes it was two on one on him. And he's waiting for somebody to come across and help him because obviously there'll always be a point where Newcastle, because he got a man over they're going to be able to find that. You can't block everybody off, but he was able to just more or less control that. And you could tell the home crowd were getting a bit frustrated with him and he was gaining the confidence as well. And for once, you know, it's always the same for these these fullbacks, isn't it? When they're, they're near the touchline, they get, certainly for 45 minutes, they get it in the ear from Klopp. And there wasn't really a lot of that in the second half for, for Robertson, which hasn't been the case for, you know, every game this season. Sean, you mentioned them very briefly before, uh, but... Dolly and I were talking about earlier, Endo was making his full debut and um, midway through the first half, after all the madness of the, the Trent incident and then the red card, I'd totally forgotten he was even playing, to be honest. And that, so then I made a concerted effort to try and watch him a bit more closely. Um, while I think the game was, was very frenetic and it was difficult for him physically, I think he, he struggled a little bit with the pace of it. 
I was actually quite impressed with the way he used the ball. I thought he used it pretty well. I thought he was pretty sensible on it. And, and I think, was it Klopp that said recently that um, he, he would just come in and, and sort of pass it from A to B? was almost Klopp, Klopp's turn of phrase. And, and he did exactly that. Um, did, did he impress you at all? You mentioned them. Was, it, was that something you noticed? I, I, I suppose you can say it was impressive that he that he did get to grips with it, and um, he, was he one of the first two that was subbed off in, in the second half? I think yeah, he was, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah. And that was probably the right call at that time. I, I think you're right, though. Almost, it's probably just excitement, isn't it? And you know, the, the fact that he's he's suddenly found himself at Liverpool and, and been unleashed in, in these first two games straight away. But I think he's almost been a little bit tried to be a little bit too progressive at times. There was there was a couple of th- times in the Bournemouth game where you know. He won the ball and then just tried to run forward himself or, or you know, pass it forward in a way that was a little bit risky. And um, in this one, there was a couple of times, there was one, he had it about 10 yards outside Liverpool's area and tried to kind of turn and find someone quickly and, and, and lost it. Um, but yeah, I, I think in general, it's 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 certainly not a bad start when you, when you take it over the, over the course of the two games. I mean, you know, the fact that there was only one goal conceded here and he was, he was a decent part of the response to going down to 10 men. I think it was good. And going back to that, what I was saying about that Sabozlai interview, um, I mean, obviously, you know, he would say this about a new teammate, but he seemed genuinely quite positive about the new look midfield of, of himself, Endo and McAllister. And, and he was saying, you know, early training sessions have been quite good in terms of those three striking up a bit of a partnership. So it, it's a difficult one, this, but I don't think we've quite yet seen an answer as to what kind of midfielder he can be for Liverpool in the sense of who has he replaced? I mean, I, I still think Fabinho hasn't been replaced in that team, if you see what I mean. And and when Endo came in, I, there, was, there was a bit of a groundswell of, well, OK, he's the Milner replacement and that's fine. I think maybe maybe he can be slightly more than that. And, and he'll have to only for the next few months because uh, as as defensive mid, until like Besetic and others get back to full fitness, I think he's, he's going to be the one who, who gets the games. I should imagine he'll start again at the weekend, for example. So, yeah, I, I think... It's 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 that question for me, which is 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 not quite answered yet. Of how long, how much time has he bought Liverpool to find the next proper number six? You know whether that's one they grow within the squad, whether they buy someone like I don't know a Gravenberch or a Chiram or someone and make them into more of a defensive presence, or whether they just go, we need the Corey and we're going to overpay for him slightly and get him in straight away. You know I think the jury's still out a little bit there on on Endo, but you know he's played two one two hasn't he as well, so he'll take that. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, okay. Well, before we wrap it up, we'll talk about the, the red card. Um, Doyle, you said that in your day, um, it wasn't a red card. My dad texted me saying he didn't even think it was a foul, a yellow, anything. He thought it was a great tackle. Um, and, and I must admit, you know, I, I mean, Gary Neville was on commentary acting like he committed GBH. Um, was, was, I mean, they were taught uh, 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 so much so that as I was watching it, I was thinking, am I missing something? Um, but yeah, what, what did you both make of it? In, initial thoughts later, having seen it probably numerous times since on replay, red card, not red card, somewhere in between. Well, if you, I, think, I think I mentioned it before that at the time when you saw it, Take away the crowd noise and all of that kind of stuff. Oh, by the way, all of the Newcastle team should have got a yellow card for a, saying that he, he wanted her a go. What mm-hmm. happened to that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that didn't last very long. Um, certainly the bench did. Um, but, yeah, I mean, at the time, I didn't think it was a foul. 
referees obviously given the red card, then you go, okay, well, let's have a look at VAR. Let's see what they say. Because we couldn't see replays. We couldn't see any replays. Didn't see them said before until afterwards. And just judging from the responses on Twitter, it seemed to be kind of 70-30 in favour of not being a red card. And obviously I saw what Gary Gary Neville said, but I also saw what Gary Lineker said as well. So the two Garys there in a in, in opposition. Um, I think it's one of these, okay, judging by the rules now, once the referee gives it and you see the replay, there's contact between the players and it's never going to be overturned, right? But I do think that had the, basically, it, had he not given it, no one would have gone back and had a look at it. Might no. be a bit different if it was in the penalty box. And then it's the old thing, well, if it's a foul elsewhere, why isn't it found in the penalty box or vice versa? But we know how football works. Come on, we're not, we're not soft. We know how these things happen. A foul in a penalty box is obviously a lot more dangerous than a foul by your own qualified kind of thing. So, it, and again, the other argument is that was he in a goal-scoring position? And then that's down to, well, then you, you've got a, a referee or a VAR. I was, one thing I would say is I'm surprised that VAR didn't ask him to go and have a look. Even if it would have just been, can you just go to tidy this up, go and have a look? But I think that might be, you know, something that they're trying not to do. I mean, <laughs> we saw the Mike Dean thing. <laughs> I mean, okay, what I would say about the Mike Dean thing is that that is such a human thing to say and do that everybody completely understands it. Everybody understands it and everybody went, well, we kind of know that happens. We know that happens. Referees are humans. They're not robots. We don't want robots to be referees, do we? Otherwise, to be honest, otherwise they would be robots. They just get them out there and that'll be that. So that's no fun. But she's still not said it. <laughs> so some things that, you know, that's implied. Don't come out and actually say it. I know he's backtracking a little bit after that. But uh, now going back to the red card. Uh, what I would say is that obviously Van Dyke's then been caught on camera effing and jeffing. Oh, well, he was, wasn't very happy, was he, with it? And um, now what I would say on that is that if you call the referee a cheat, then that's something that's very serious. Because I am old enough to remember, I think it was the late 80s, they put a, a microphone on one of the referees. I think it may have even been David Ellery. Remember him? Sure, you'll remember him. Very recently. Must remember David Ellery, the referee. Yeah. A Millwall, the Arsenal game. And Tony Adams, who was then the Arsenal captain, I think I'd maybe given a penalty or something against Arsenal. And he was like calling him this, that, and the other, calling him a cheat and everything, all this kind of stuff. And it was like, it sounded really bad. Like, not the swearing. It was the other bit that like, you say that referees are cheating. There's some things you can't say. For, for Van Dyke to say the, to the referee that decision's a joke, well, that's fine in my view. That's his opinion. You know what I mean? He's not. It would be more weird if he said, "Well played, sir. I'm now going to go and leave this pitch." You know, <laughs> it's, it's like, there's now 50, there's fifty five thousand people there, and if the people say, "Well, we need emotion in football," fine. It was literally a week ago that one of the you know Mary Earps, the the, the women's. Um, you know, England women's lioness's goalkeeper saves a penalty in a final and is caught on camera. I know she wasn't saying it to anybody in particular, but was being quite foul-mouthed about it. And people were saying, look, that, that, that's funny and that's kind of this, that and the other. And I know the context is different, but if you've got to say that and you've got this other footballer who, you know, in a, a sport that has a lot of industrial language, that he swore a referee, the context of it's importance. Because I'll tell you what, if, if Van Dyke gets an additional punishment on that, if he gets an additional punishment on that, then there's going to be no players left on the pitch after about a month because everyone will get it. Yeah, agreed. I mean, uh, uh, footballers swearing at, 
a referee. I mean, yeah, like you say, I, again, that was something I saw yesterday. Was a few people have picked up on, but yeah, I mean, you you could go and if you if you were looking for it, you could see it a hundred times, if not more. Again, couldn't you, Sean? Sending off, yes, no. Um, I, I think where it's different than the McCallis, the one where I think any football fan of, of any of any hue, when they watch that back, will go, yeah, that wasn't a red. I, I think if this was down the other end, you're asking for it. So, you know, you, you, you're screaming for it, really. So I think you have to factor that in. I, I wonder as well whether, you know, Van Dyke of the 2019-2020 vintage, and, and if he could have his time again with this, would, would not try and swipe through the player and would just cruise alongside him and try and, you know, ease him away from goal. I, I don't think it was the best decision by the player. But it, what I was thinking as well, though, as that move unfolded was, I know we, we had that incident where after Trent was initially booked, he kind of put his arm round Gordon and there was the, there were screams to send him off. But that initial booking was so daft because he was shoved in the back. And OK, you can pedantically argue then he, he threw the ball, not really away, he threw it back towards the pitch. But basically Trent was booked and, and Gordon pretty much cruised past him, didn't he, and, and came inside and, and set that set that incident up. So I, I do think it was a red. What, what I would say on reds, and you, you lads mentioned the idea of going to the monitor. I think refs should always go to the monitor if it's a red because the game's already broken. And rather than someone upstairs say, well, here's my extra subjective view on this and you know, cloud the situation, maybe the ref on the pitch in this instance should just own it and go and have a look, another look, watch the incident in real time again from different angles, maybe watch it in slow motion. And then they've had the help that, the, the the technology can offer, but you know it's not confused by another person's opinion being thrown in. But you know, I I, I was thinking that after the McAllister one because I just think surely if he'd gone out the luck, he just wouldn't would then not have sent him off, and we wouldn't have had to have had a situation where Liverpool appeal and it's then overturned. And you know maybe it would have helped here as well. And I do I do think though he would have come to the same conclusion, which was you know he's gone through the man and and, and you've got to send them off. So yeah, I, I think the. The worst decision in the game was was the one right at the start, which was was the Trent yellow. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's one of them. If that is against Liverpool, we're all saying why didn't he get sent off, or he should have been sent off, or it was a sending off because it's against you. you you're sort of having this debate, but it, it was an interesting one. It did split a lot of a pe- lot of opinion. Um, yeah, and, and I'll let you have the final word, Ian Doyle, before we go. Um, Jason Tindall, it's slightly annoying, isn't he? <laughs> what I would say about Jason Tindall is that I never, ever, ever, ever noticed him. And my brother, who goes to the games, Liverpool games, and sits by the dugout, whenever Bournemouth were playing or Newcastle were play, came to play, he would always be telling me after the game, oh my God, he's just so annoyed with, obviously, more industrial language and more colourful uh, terms for him, shall we say. And it's only after that, recently, that I've actually got onto it. But then, of course... Every, now that Newcastle have become quite, well, certainly by comparison to what they've been like over the last couple of years, they've been successful and they've become a bit of a news story with the Saudi takeover. Everybody's gone on to it. And, yeah, it was, because uh, when you sit at Newcastle, as I said before, it's right near the touchline, so it's right near the dugout. You get to see quite a lot of what goes on. And uh, when the Trent thing happened very early on, yeah, we, we didn't see him hush Klopp or the bench or just go in that general direction. But you could see that Klopp was not very happy at something that he did. And that kind of just lingers a little bit. And it's funny, Eddie Howe afterwards was asked about it. He says, he, he more or less basically said, it's Jason Tindall, what do you expect? <laughs> he may as well have just said that, didn't he? So he's, he's not soft, is he? Just like lets him get on with it. But I th- I go right back to what I said at the start. 
there was this kind of thing to try and build up this kind of rivalry between Liverpool and Newcastle, which I think there was one piece, and it basically came down to they had a bit of a set to at the end of the last game over at last game at Anfield last season, the one that Sean mentioned before, about Newcastle's time wasting, which of course now they can't really do because it's just going to add their own time on because the referees have clamped down on that. And also at the game at Newcastle last season that followed that, that Andreas Colmai asked a couple of the Newcastle uh, players just to train a little bit away from Liverpool's half of the pitch. That was it. You know, that's a, that, that's the extent of the rivalry. So it's not exactly, you know, United and Liverpool or City and United or, you know, Leeds and everybody. So it's it's just not like that. So, no, not having it. OK, well, thank you very much. We will leave it there. We'll be back on Friday to talk... Aston Villa, sendings off probably, and um, transfers, because it is transfer deadline day, so that should be fun. We'll see you then. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.